Hello, Simpletons. You're listening to the Minimalist Private Podcast. Today, we have questions about expired careers, expired hometowns, expired obligations, and even expired relationships. Like food, many of these people, places, and things were wonderful for a period of time, but when we hold on too long, they can become stale mm. or even toxic. So, Ryan, what if we put a expiration date on everything that no longer serves us. Ooh, I like that. So so it's not about having an expiration date on everything. It's more about like taking an inventory of your life and being like, okay, this is not adding value. Let's put an expiration. I'm going to give myself this much time to see if this adds value or not. Yes, or we can mm. even say, using some of the rules that we have or whatever, you can look at any item and say, hey, this one's already expired. I know it deep down. I'm certain of it, mm-hmm. but there are other ones where it's like the seasonality rule. That's an expiration date rule in a way. Hey, yeah. if I don't use this in the next 90 days, I'm going to consider it expire. That doesn't mean I'm going to throw it out. I'm going to donate it. I'm going to sell it. Someone else can give value from it. It will serve them even if it's no longer serving me. Now, if you're watching this on the live stream, patrons... This is for the intentionalists, the true fans, the VIPs. You can leave your questions in the live YouTube chat. And we're trying to get your, well, you can comment on this episode. We want to know, uh, you can comment on the live stream post or on the actual episode post. Would you prefer us to keep it around the live stream for 24 hours? Or Ryan and I are kind of like, hey, this is a live stream, not a recorded stream. But uh, we want to be cognizant of people in different time zones and stuff as well. Maybe the question should be, would you hate us if we just made it a legit live stream? <laughs> <laughs> like, would you disown us? Well, I mean, this is, we're giving you something extra of, on top of anything you've yeah. already been doing. But so. of course, I mean, my prediction is that, you know, people want more. <laughs> oh, you haven't learned anything. That's right. So I bet you they're going to say keep it around for 24 hours, which is cool. We're happy to do that. We're happy to. But here's the whole point of the live stream. We want you to participate. So mm-hmm. if you have questions, not in the post, the Patreon post, but on the actual live stream itself, Alabama will be aggregating these questions and we'll get to or comments or smart ass remarks, whatever mm-hmm. you got for mm-hmm. us. Uh, she'll or get to compliments. those. Yes. <laughs> so, Ryan, I got this. Um, uh, I sent you the meme I, we were talking about on the minimal episode. I figured we talk about it real quick right oh, yeah. now. So, this meme, it was the Skeletor meme yeah. where he says something and he like gives you something profound and runs away. Until next time. Yeah, and it's like a really obscure, profound thought. It's like a shower thought almost. Yes. Yeah. 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 Where it, it, it's like a faux fundity. Right, exactly. Yes. It's profound, but in a faux sort of way. Yes, it's, and they're usually funny. Yes. It's a faux, it's a funny faux fundity. <laughs> <laughs> and this gal sent me this. I think she was a patron, and, and she said, um, uh, see, Josh, not all advertisements suck. And it was Skeletor there, and it said, you can't spell advertisements <laughs> without semen between the tits. <laughs> If you look at the word advertisements, it makes you'll sense. never see it the same. Right. So thank you, patrons, for uh, contributing to our laughter, our humor. Until next time. <laughs> Until next time. So uh, yeah, I think all of our advertisements suck, though. So thank you for keeping our podcast 100% advertisement free. Um, Ryan, I thought maybe we would start here mm-hmm. with some more about less. Let's do it. Uh, we have an article that I wrote. It's an essay on our website. It just came out. This is called The Boundaries of Discontent. Mm. Interested in your feedback? Leave it on um, 
the YouTube stream, the live stream here, patrons. Oh, by the way, before we get started, Ryan, there were two things I wanted to talk about. So I'm going to read this to you. Oh, okay. Beulah's art. If you're watching the video version of this, the four paintings behind us, she is selling them. Uh, it's a long URL, so we just made a, a, a redirect URL. If you go to theminimalists.com slash art, you can buy it. Now, it's, they may already be gone by the time you look into this, but um, because people from the live stream have an opportunity to jump in mm -hmm. as well. But if whoever wants to buy the art that's behind us, so the four paint, we're replacing it with two bigger paintings. So we're keeping this giant painting that's over here. And then these four paintings that are behind us, um, if you want them for your home, she's not charging as much as she usually charges for art. But you can own a one-of-one one that is being used in the podcast studio. Theminimalists.com slash art. That'll take you right over to Beulah's website and she'll have all the details over there ryan this essay is called the boundaries of discontent we are alarmed when people disregard or disrespect us but maybe there's a reason they treat us poorly perhaps we've tolerated their behavior so long that they've grown comfortable in their misbehaving here's the truth about tolerance the boundaries of your discontent are marked by everything you tolerate. Bickering, scorn, disdain, spite, abandonment, outrage, cruelty, torment, abuse. We don't realize it, but our tolerance is a magnet for neglect. When we tolerate ridicule, we attract more of it. When we tolerate heartbreak, it shows up at our doorstep. Now, that doesn't mean tolerance is bad, nor is it something you should avoid. In fact, tolerance is wonderful when it moves us toward acceptance, respect, appreciation. But when we stay in the shallow end, mired in the murky wave pool of tolerance, we are battered by timorous emotions, sadness, anger, melancholy, insecurity that carry us into the waters of chronic discontent. Spend enough time in those currents and you'll be nauseated by the toxicity. Before you know it, you've been steeped in a low-grade misery for years. It's, it's as if we're punishing ourselves in the name of virtue or discipline or commitment or whatever buzzword peaks our self-righteous pleasure sensors. Thankfully, there's a flip side to this coin. When we stop tolerating the nonsense, we make room for kindness mercy, grace. These states arrive when we no longer permit the misconduct, when we've decluttered our attachment to the people who are careless with our love. As strange as it may seem, to put up with insolence or mockery is to lack compassion because in a real way, we encourage what we tolerate. All right, so let's talk about this yeah because i wanted to be clear about like tolerance can be great tolerance can be awful right it's highly situational right yeah in fact you and i we talk about the path to understanding and love people use things we go through that acronym Terra. yeah and the first word in Terra is tolerance yeah it's the first step toward understanding someone yes but the thing i wanted to point out there quite often if someone is well, you and I talked about this earlier, and what spawned this was you, um, you, were, you and I were talking about a boss that we had, and we kind of tolerated his mockery, his insolence. Yeah, we were scared to lose our jobs. We were scared to be uh, 
call it out in front of our, our coworkers. Um, yeah. So we, we tolerated the way we were being treated. And because we tolerated more and more and more of that behavior showed up at our doorstep. Yeah. And it's great for a while to tolerate, to better understand someone. If they're showing up and you're like, yeah, I don't really get why, why are they always wearing, you know, the, the silly green pants, the bright green, like, okay, I'll tolerate that or whatever. Sure. It's going to maybe help me better understand them. Right. Yeah. But if it's about someone's behavior and if they're misbehaving, they're treating us in a way we don't want to be treating. That's what I mean by misbehaving. Then if we continue to tolerate it, it will either stay the same or more likely than not, it will get worse. Yeah. If the tolerance leads to uh, discontent or heaven forbid misery, like that's when it's toxic tolerance <laughs> in a way. That's right. Because um, yeah, I mean, I'm out in traffic, someone cuts me off. Like my initial reaction is, I don't want to tolerate that. And I'm going to throw up gang signs, <laughs> flash my, my peace. No, uh, you know, it, it honk my horn, uh, you know, shake my fist, whatever it is. Like that's my knee jerk reaction. But it's like, well, wait, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and tolerate this because that's actually going to help me be more peaceful rather than like escalating this anger that I have right now. Right. Right. But yeah, if you got a relationship in your life where someone is treating you like crap and you're constantly tolerating it, then you're encouraging them to treat you like garbage. Now, if I drove behind that person every single day, well, then there's a certain point where I got to like set a standard and be like, hey, but in passing, tolerance can be, um, it can be helpful. Right. Yeah. Right. And so it's identifying what am I willing to tolerate? Right. It's a question, right? Because if I'm discontent about something, it has to do with two things. My own expectations, first and foremost, right? Your happiness is moderated by your expectations. Preach. And second, if you tolerate the things that are coming at you, the people and their behaviors and their meanness and their scorn and their anger and their frustration and their rage and their yelling, if you tolerate that, more of it's going to show up. So what am I willing to tolerate? And as soon as I'm not willing to tolerate anymore, all it means is I'm going to set up some sort of boundary. Mm-hmm. And if I set up that boundary, then and I and I hold to that boundary, yeah, then I no longer have to tolerate the nonsense. Yeah. And when you're setting that boundary up, you don't have to be like, "Hey, look, I don't." You know, sometimes you do. I don't tolerate that behavior, but that's not what has to come out of your mouth every single time. There, there, there right. are very kind and loving, compassionate ways to set up boundaries without telling someone. Hey, you crossed the line. Yeah. You crossed that line again, we're over. I mean, that's, uh, again, sometimes you need to do that, but often you can set a boundary in a very compassionate way. Sometimes it's because you've tolerated for so long, now you have to be that stern person where it's like, oh, I kind of screwed up here. So now, and even then you can do it in a compassionate way. Hey, look, I screwed up and I've been tolerating something that's actually been driving me crazy for a long time. You don't realize it. And and so let me communicate that with you. But other times, instead of just saying no, it's saying yes. Hey, I'd appreciate if you did this instead of this. Yeah. That's, That's saying yes to an alternative as opposed to no, stop that immediately, right? Yeah. Hey, I'd appreciate if you were kinder to me when we had these these one-on-one meetings or whatever. Yes. What is what's the person going to say? I mean, that's the weird thing. Like with our boss, who was a total jerk. Yeah. I, even him, if I would say, "Hey, man, I appreciate if you'd be a little bit more kind and compassionate mm-hmm. in these scenarios," um, 
What's he going to say? No, screw you. Maybe. Right. But then I know. Right. Yeah. I, uh, it's funny. I wish I would have set up some boundaries, but a piece of me also, you know, kind of um, idolized him in a way. Mm. You know, he was VP of Who Gives a Crap. Mm-hmm. He was, you know, making a ton of money. He had a lot of power in that organization, a lot of influence. So, you know, I, I looked up to him in a way of like, wow, look at that power and money. And when you have power and money like that, you have, you know, this permission to bully people around. And there is a, there, there's a, you know, literal power thing that's going on with someone who bullies others. Um, I don't, you know, I mean, I kind of look at myself in contempt, like, you know, feeling that way. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I remember like mimicking his, his behavior. Well, because it gets you results in the short term. Mm. And, and so if you want a perceived shortcut, then that's one way to do it. Like if I, um, I'm trying to think of a, a good analogy here, but like, oh, it's time for me to clean out my fridge. What's mm-hmm. the quickest way to do it? I guess I could just burn down the fridge. <laughs> right. And uh, now it's, well, I that got rid of all the items, but now mm-hmm. long the longer term consequences of that are far greater. Yeah. Now that's an absurd analogy, right? Be- but it, And it's so immediate, but he was essentially doing the same thing. He was setting fire to every relationship in his life yeah. in order for short-term momentary gain. The monthly numbers, the quarterly numbers, the weekly numbers, the daily numbers were so important to him that um, he forsook the people and and actually made it so that people didn't produce as well as they would have if he would have shown some compassion. Yeah. So it's possible to be both stern and compassionate to have high standards and be compassionate, mm. to show some grace. Now, it's not to say that he he could have still fired people at the same rate. He he could have still, um, but he could have done so in a way that was more loving. Yeah, I remember I, I fired Mike Mike Atkins, uh, <laughs> our good friend Mike. He he's my favorite person I've ever fired, and I fired a lot of people. Um, and. I remember this when I sat down with him and he even said like, Oh, this is the kindest I've ever been fired. (laughs) But he just, he couldn't get done what he needed to get done. And I had to explain to him like, Hey, we can't tolerate this. And at some point when he still couldn't show up on time or he missed a shift or whatever, it was, Hey, love you, man. Still love you now, Mm -hmm. but we can't work together in this capacity. We're still friends as, as a result of, even though we couldn't work together anymore, we were still friends because he understood like this was coming from a place of love and necessity. It right. didn't say anything about how I cared about him or how I thought he cared about me. It was like, hey, you couldn't meet the needs that we needed. Mm-hmm. And so we have to let you go. Yeah. You can do that in a kind way. Yeah. He did a really good job of taking responsibility too, of mm-hmm. like understanding like, oh, I've been warned and warned and warned. I had my final warning. And now I'm going to own up to the way I'm acting, um, which I, I don't know if there's something there when it comes to tolerance, because sometimes people aren't willing to own up to their own uh, flaws or whatever it is. And um, yeah, and maybe that's even where the boundary is even more important when someone won't own up to it. So that way you can at least have a boundary set up for yourself. And yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, we got some surprise questions here today. Emma, before we get into those, we uh, we've acknowledged that she is um, she's headed back to Canada. 
So here's the thing. I um, <laughs> I just have irrational confidence about certain things. <laughs> yeah, come move to the States. We'll figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> and it turns out... Well, it did seem really simple at first. Well, yeah, because I Googled it and I'm right. like, oh, yeah, an H-1B visa, it's 460 bucks. It's a lot of money to spend, but we think Emma's awesome. Mm-hmm. And so let's bring Emma down. We'll end up paying 460 bucks, get her a visa that she needs, and it's all good. Uh, so come on down, right? Mm-hmm. And so in fact, we, we hired, Ryan and I, we interviewed, I think it was 22 different people total. Yeah. Um, and we brought Mallory and emma on at the same time and say hey we don't know like we're just going to parse up some work and we'll, we'll figure out uh how, how this will work out because we think you're both awesome we it was very difficult for us to make a decision so yeah. i called one of my mentors carl and just said hey what would you do and he said well actually what would you do back in the corporate world if you were like staffing up for you know the christmas season or i was like i would just hire both of them and overstaff he's like okay <laughs> well can you do that now uh, yeah okay bye <laughs> and so we did that and uh, Emma came down, and then we started talking to our attorney who put us in contact with a immigration attorney, and oh, Emma doesn't qualify for the H-1B visa. Uh, it turns out she might qualify for this TN visa or a J-1 visa or an O-1 visa. Long story short, that's not true on any of them. Mm. And there's maybe about a 60% chance that she qualifies for one of them. But it was like, oh, you probably don't want to roll the dice yeah. on that. Yeah. Hey, Jordan, we're, while we're recording this, uh, your iPad just came on. I don't know if it's going to affect the, the camera at all. You may just want to take that out of there. It flashed on with some sort of message there. So long story short, uh, Emma needs to marry an American. So if you're listening to this and you're a single guy, <laughs> just kidding. Um, but Emma's still going to be working with us uh, on various things in fact we're going to be talking about her roles and responsibilities post america mm-hmm. she's headed back to um to canada but emma we still love you we're grateful for you thanks for spending this time here with us yeah you're awesome by the way you can check out her podcast it's called the curious one she is very curious <laughs> you got some surprise questions for us yeah who do you uh, want to start with how about um maria maria I have been in an expired relationship for 30 years. How do I get rid of it? Wow. Yeah. I wish I could ask questions back. Like, is this a friendship? Is this a romantic, you know, uh, relationship? Is this a business partnership? Like, I'm going to assume it's a, a marriage. Okay. And we'll approach it from there. And then I think it will be applicable to friendships as well. Right. And so how do you know a friendship has expired Mm. how do you know that a marriage has expired how do you know that a co-worker relationship has expired i think fundamentally it's all the same yeah it's just that you're in the marriage you're much more entangled with someone right you've gotten to a point where and this actually happened in my first marriage where we were basically roommates at some point Mm. i think this happens with a lot of people you are a roommate and you have shared finances. You're sort of splitting the bills with each other. Yeah. You're splitting some household responsibilities and chores, but the same passion is gone. Yeah. Every relationship, especially intimate relationships like a marriage mm-hmm. or boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, 
uh, we talk about this in Love People Use Things, every relationship has three, requires three things in order for it to last long term. Mm. The relationship must have chemistry. That's usually what happens first. And then it must have compatibility and it must have love. Those are the three things we talk about. This is from Dr. Christopher Ryan. Mm. And uh, I think it's the reason that yours and my relationship has lasted so long. There's a particular chemistry between the two of us. We can mm-hmm. finish each other's sentences. We can, we have a dynamic where we can go back and forth. I know how generally you're going to answer a question. You're, you know how I'm going to answer one, so we can volley back and forth relatively well. Yeah. But we can, we're also comfortable sitting in silence with each other. Mm. And so the, there's a, a particular chemistry between the two of us. And I think that's true with anyone else that you work with, live with, are around regularly, semi-regularly. There's a chemistry. That's an important component. Then there's love. Well, to love someone is to see them for who they are without trying to change them. Mm. This is simultaneously the easiest and the hardest thing to do because you don't have to do anything to love them. Love does not require doing. Mm. I can't do more love. I can simply see you for who you are. As soon as I want to change you, that relationship has expired. Mm. Or at least that portion of the relationship has expired. Ooh, interesting. Because to want to change someone is to unlove them. Mm. And so if I want you to change, I want you to do this, I want you to do this, I want you to do that, that means I'm not happy with who you are, and therefore I'm not happy with the relationship. It's not wrong or bad, It's but it's not loving. And then the third thing is compatibility. And this is usually where relationships expire. Because you can have chemistry and you can have love, but... The two of you aren't compatible at all. And there are certain non-negotiables that you can't even negotiate on. Mm. In a marriage, it's like if one person wants to have kids and the other doesn't, Mm -hmm. uh uh-oh, that's a problem. Because there isn't a, well, I guess we'll just have half a kid. (laughs) I'll get you sort of pregnant. Mm. Now, there are other non-negotiables. Some people might want monogamy and other people might want to be in an open relationship. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're both stuck there, then that's non-negotiable. Yeah. Right? I mean, you can negotiate all you want, but like what's going to happen is one person's going to be deprived in the relationship. Yeah. And, and therefore, you're going to drag the other person in your direction. You're going to drag them toward monogamy or you're going to drag the person toward an open relationship. Mm. Therefore, the relationship is expired at this point. Now, yeah. here's the beautiful part about this. The relationship as it's currently constituted is expired. It doesn't mean the entire relationship is expired. Mm, I like that. You know, um, sometimes when they make jam, there's like a layer of mold on the top. Mm, Shout out to Squirrel. Yeah. (laughs) And you often scrape the mold off. Or if you uh, dry-age beef. You've seen dry-aged beef before. Yeah. It's just a layer of mold on top of... You have to cut the mold off. So Mm -hmm. that is technically, literally expired. Yeah, but you cut off the part that is expired, and now you have what you were actually looking for the whole time. I dig it. I dig it, man. You know, it's interesting. I think when it comes to romantic relationships, people hold on to it for. And man, I'm like, <clears throat> I have some examples, and I just want to like protect the innocent. Um, but I know of one relationship that's going on that uh, one partner is staying with the other partner because they simply have all their bills paid for. And they, when they look at the, 
it's a very toxic relationship. But when they look at the alternative, they're like, well, it's either put up with this toxic relationship or I got to go out and figure out a way to pay all my bills. And they don't want to figure that out. They don't want to go get a job. They would rather just have all their bills paid for them. Um, that is uh, that is an expired relationship that you're holding on to for a very it's it's a pernicious reason. I don't know how else to say it. Well, you're holding on because it's convenient, right? Yeah. And so I think quite often the problem is we're afraid of two things. One is we're afraid of of discomfort. We're losing some sort of convenience in the relationship. Mm-hmm. We're losing our routine, the niceties, the comfort of that. Yeah. But the other thing we're afraid of, if we're a caring, kind, compassionate person, is what? I don't want to hurt the other person's feelings. Mm, yeah. And there's and by the way, I just want to say there's nothing wrong with that situation I brought up. There's nothing good or bad about it. It's just, it just is. And it being the way it is, is it's toxic. Mm. And there are, uh, you know, more downs than there are ups. And, you know, that person wants to put up with those, those, uh, that relationship, those downs, that's okay. Like, it's not for me to be like, well, that's wrong. You shouldn't do that. And they get to determine if it's bad for them. It's situational. Yeah. The, the problem we have here is we justify staying in a toxic relationship because, and by the way, that person you're talking about is half the toxicity because oh, yeah. if they walk yeah. away, then it's a no longer a toxic relationship. If you yeah. reconstitute the relationship, mm-hmm. it's no longer a potentially no longer a toxic relationship. The other thing I was talking about with the afraid to hurt someone's feelings, that's never a great reason to stay in a relationship. Mm. In fact, no. In fact, one of the things that Bex and I do all the time is we have some really, really difficult conversations. And we've had a few on her podcast, How to Love. And I tell you, man, those conversations, they're really about, hey, I, I notice I've been tolerating something. Mm. And I, that tolerance is making me miserable. It's a low-grade misery. But if I continue to tolerate this, I'm going to grow more and more miserable. Mm. What does Tony Robbins say? Kill Godzilla when he's a baby. Don't wait till he's taking over the city. Yeah. And that's what happens in a relationship like the one you're describing is Godzilla is trampling their city. Mm-hmm. And they're just sitting there like, well, I guess we'll just sit here and watch Godzilla take over the city together. Right. And we'll, we'll, we'll fight Godzilla in vain. It's not, not going to do anything for us, right? Mm-hmm. Is because it's already gotten to that point. It's yeah. an expired relationship. Yeah. What do you think about relationships that um, people stay in just for the kids? We've got to do it for the kids. I have a friend who's, who's there right now, and they have like five or six kids. Mm. I don't remember how many. A lot, right? Mm. And they, man, it's... I, I think it's the worst thing to do in a relationship. I think I think you're punishing yourself, you're punishing your spouse, and you're punishing the kids. Mm. Let me explain why that is. And there are exceptions to this, I'm sure, but I can tell you that if Bex had stayed in her former relationship, then her life would not be nearly as joyous as it is right now, nearly as beautiful as, as it is right now. And that's not because of me. It's because she walked away from a relationship that was toxic for her. It doesn't mean that her former spouse was toxic necessarily, mm-hmm. but the relationship for them together had expired. And there was even a period where it had. It was great. It was wonderful for them. Mm. But that doesn't mean it's going to continue to be that way. The past does not equal the future. Yeah. And so we have to be willing to let go of a relationship if it's no longer serving us. Now, why is it toxic, especially for the friend I'm talking about, the one with the six kids? Yeah. Well, 
it is literally the definition of a talk. It's it's a emotionally abusive. Occasionally, it's physically abusive, where mm. where uh, the the woman, the wife, uh, throws things at the husband, mm. cusses him out in front of the kids. Mm. Now think about that. What is that doing? What kind of example is that setting for the kids? Yeah, I was thinking about you know, Ella at one point. She was asking, you know, um, why don't I ever see you and and mom fight? Mm. Why aren't you arguing more? <laughs> I was like, well, we have disagreements, but we don't have to fight or argue. We can yeah. talk about these things. Yeah. I'll give you ex- three examples of here's, here are t- things that we've disagreed about. He's like, She's like, well, I always see my dad and, and, and his girlfriend arguing all the mm. time about things. And it's mm. like, oh, see, that sets a, a standard. This is what you're supposed to do in a relationship. Yeah. If you really loved about me, you'd fight to keep me. Wow, how yeah. toxic is that? Yeah, yeah. No, if you really loved me, you wouldn't cling to me in the first place. Yeah, and I just really want to reiterate, like this isn't a judgment on anyone who's staying in a relationship just for the kids or someone who's staying in a relationship just because they're being you know, financially supported. It's more about um, you have a decision to make when you're in a toxic relationship. You can tolerate it and you can encourage the bad behavior or you can set boundaries. So when it comes to Maria... After 30 years, man, what a good question. How do you how do you get rid of that relationship after 30 years? I don't have a simple answer for that. But what I will say is you can start with having a very real, honest conversation with your partner and saying, hey, like I really feel like the last 30 years has been toxic. And I know that I'm partly to blame for that. I know that you're partly to blame for that. But let's talk about why it is the way it is. And let's see if we can scrape that mold off. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you can't. You know, yeah. and then you get to decide, do you want to eat moldy jam or not? Yes. <laughs> and if you're going to let go, it's about, there's nothing, the question is is fundamentally, how do I get rid of it? Mm. Letting go is not something you do, it's something you stop doing. Mm-hmm. How do I stop clinging to this microphone? Yeah. Well, I simply stop clinging to the microphone. And the same thing is true with this relationship. Right now, if you actually want to let go, you have to stop clinging. Yeah. Hey, Emma, we got a question from Sandra. In regards to expired careers, when should we move on and not worry about being comfortable or secure and leap into something else? So a career can expire when? Because I know when I was, I was really excited when we first started working. Well, I I started there a little bit before you did working for the telecom company, maybe five or six years before you did. And I was excited at first about that. Mm -hmm. And I actually felt, like a sense of tremendous growth and yeah. and fulfillment for a period of time. And so if I'm feeling that and I feel good about the circumstance and I feel like it's fulfilling what I want it to fulfill, then that's wonderful. But if there's a part where it's draining me and I'm not getting that same sort of fulfillment. I don't feel that sense of purpose or meaning. We just did that, that podcast episode with Ken Coleman mm-hmm. from Paycheck to Purpose. Yeah. If it feels like just a paycheck, oof. now the question is, if it's just a paycheck, is it because I'm not contributing in a way that is meaningful? Mm-hmm. And if I'm not, then I can, can I find meaning in this work? Because there isn't one thing you were born to do. You weren't meant to do one thing in particular. So can the work you're doing now be meaningful for a period of time? If so, wonderful. How would you get there? What 
what does meaningful work look like to you in that current environment? If the answer to that is no, you can't get there, well, then it's just a paycheck. Mm. And then it's not about, well, run into your boss's office today, screw you, I quit, I'm going home. I mean, unless you have unlimited, if you, if you have FU money, then great, maybe you can do that. But even then, that's probably not the most compassionate, courteous thing to do. Mm. The thing you can do is say, hey, this is no longer for me. I found a replacement. Mm. This is the Derek Sivers thing. You know, hey, I, I, I realize this job isn't for me anymore, so I went ahead and found and trained my replacement already. Right. And um, they start next Thursday. Mm. Yeah, there, there's, some, there's somewhere in between those two that is the, the, the compassionate place to go. And I'll tell you this, if you're looking for meaning in your work, then now's the time to start looking. It's not just going to, the meaning isn't going to show up because nothing has that intrinsic meaning to it. Yeah. Man, so when should we move on and not worry about being comfortable or secure and leap into something else? So let's start with not worrying about being comfortable or secure. You're never going to not worry about that. Security is is a basic human need. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, some levels of security are going to be uh, some needs levels of needs for security are going to be different with different people. But I would never tell you like, okay, here are the five things that you can look at. And now you don't have to worry about being secure anymore. Right. I mean, uh, so, and then when it comes to leaping into something, man, um, you, you mitigate as much risk as possible. So if you were to jump out of an airplane, right. right like you're not going to just jump out of an airplane and hope that you make it to the ground alive. Like you're going to have a parachute. You're going to have a backup parachute. Maybe you even like jump tandem to make sure you're doing all these things to make sure that when you do leap, you have mitigated as much risk as possible. Is it still possible to hit the ground and, and cease living? Yes, of course it is. But you have gone out of your way to do as much as you can to prevent that from happening. Right. So, you know, with you and I, when we, uh, when you laid yourself off and when I got laid off, mm-hmm we had done a lot of work leading up to it with uh, paring down our, our, our debt. Uh, p- uh, yeah, so paying it off, saving up a little, a little bit of money, um, uh, getting our bills down. Like we had done s- some prep to make sure that, okay, if we don't have this job anymore, like we're not going to go bankrupt. Yeah, what are the things that are making me feel insecure right now? I need to take an inventory of that. Yeah. And so, because most insecurity is simply a misnomer. And so, yes, of course, if I have all of these bills, I have 15 different bills, those things are making me feel insecure because I'm feeling tethered to this job, to this career, to this lifestyle. But if I can get rid of 14 of those 15 things, now all of a sudden, Mm. I don't feel as insecure because I'm no longer relying on the same income. It makes it easier to make the leap if you actually want to quit your job. Yeah, 100%. And let's say you are, let's say you are just, uh, you know, uh, working for a paycheck. Again, there's nothing wrong with that. Like this isn't a right or a wrong thing. What, what What's happening is it sounds like, you know, maybe Sandra is working for just the paycheck and she wants to find some meaningful work. Great. Mm-hmm. That's totally possible to do. But there are also other alternatives to meaningful work, meaning, um, you know, when I think about uh, when I was considering leaving the corporate world, the whole idea was I'm going to go be a barista. Now, I do like coffee. I do love uh, being in the service industry. I, li- I like people. I'm an extrovert. You know, I like having those interactions. Right. So for me, like being a barista was something that it wasn't like I was passionate about that. It was more about 
like I could totally tolerate that as a job because of these things that it would offer me. But really, most importantly, it would give me my time back. I could go from, you know, the 60, 70, 80 hour work weeks to maybe a 30 hour work week. Right. I also think that you would find more meaning in that than you would a a clerical job where you're inputting data into a spreadsheet. Yeah, of course. Yeah. There there are people who are the opposite, though. We have a former accountant who was just so passionate about accounting. He loved it. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, what was fascinating about that to me is like, well, wait a minute, you love accounting. Like you really, you, and what he really meant was like, I'm passionate about, about this. Like mm-hmm. he, he enjoyed all of it. Now for me or you, we'd go in there like, you know, it's going to be really hard for me to make this work meaningful. Like it has some sort of purpose. Mm-hmm. I think either one of us could go work at a Starbucks tomorrow and find great meaning in serving other people. Sure. Literally serving them, but mm-hmm. also, you're bringing joy to your average customer. Yeah, absolutely. Emma, let's move on to a question from Daryl. If your hometown has expired, how do you go about finding a new one? Wow. Mm. Podcast Sean said they were talking about Dayton. Dayton has expired. <laughs> I, I, I reject that comment. I thought Dayton was coming back. It was... <laughs> One of the up-and-coming cities. It is indeed. Yeah. Low cost of living, great weather in November. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that's what a, what a simple question or a simple thought. Man, it is not easy to just pick up and change locations, though, for sure. It's so... It, it, I mean, even like just the mechanical side of moving is stressful Mm -hmm. even as a minimalist i don't enjoy moving from montana to la or whatever like it's or from dayton to when we moved from dayton to montana i just everything i own fit in my car at the time right and uh we rented a furnished cabin i had a couch and a table right and um and you know so we didn't own much and that still made it easier but even then it's a lot because you're leaving behind a lot of things that you know, there's a lot of nostalgia there, a lot of memories, uh, mm-hmm. the, the triggers for those memories. But then also you are leaving behind a community and, and seeking out a new one. And that's not always easy either, right? Yeah. So the question I have is what are you actually leaving? Because the hometown, that's not necessarily what you're leaving. Maybe you're leaving the environment you don't care about the weather there anymore like oh i'm Mm. done with winter i've been in winter too long so i'm gonna move to tucson right Mm. okay great uh then maybe that's the number one thing for you or maybe it's like oh i don't like the taxes in this place okay you're walking away from that what are you walking toward though Mm. right and and if you're asking yourself what am i walking toward I think you're going to start getting the answers. The how-to then begins to take care of itself. What else might you be walking away from? Okay, the weather. You might be walking from a, walking away from a, a job or a place that it, you felt like you have a lot of baggage associated with that place. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing about that. That baggage will follow you if you don't figure out the source of that baggage. Yeah. Maybe you live in a small town and you just don't want to see your former husband over and over and over, right? And so you're like, I need to move just uh, two towns over at least so we're not running into each other every day mm. because it's too traumatic. It brings up this experience in me. Totally get that. There are some people that I, even though I love them, I don't want to see them again. Yeah. And that's a, a rough thing to admit, but like there was a, a, to- a element of toxicity that I didn't walk away soon enough and that was my fault. Mm. And so it, it made me feel 
as though like anytime I see that person, there's it's a it's a trigger for me. Even if I think about that person, I want to remove myself from that environment. But not just remove myself from the environment. I want to walk toward an environment where I feel nourished. So what kind of community is going to nourish you? Mm. Maybe you love surfing every day, so a beach town is awesome. I, I probably wouldn't move to Bismarck, North Dakota if you're really into surfing, right? <laughs> there might be some river surfing there. <laughs> I think there's only one river to surf in America, and it's in Missoula. <laughs> oh, shoot. Yeah, no, I love that question because, yeah, it's it, to me, it's almost like uh, Daryl can look at this as an opportunity yeah, to start new, to start fresh. So yeah, Daryl, get clear on what it is you value. And uh, then you can start looking at different communities. Yeah, you're right. If you if you like surfing, you're not going to move to the middle of, uh, yeah, South Dakota. Yeah. Yeah. So um, last thing that I'll tell you, Daryl, is whatever you're walking toward mm. might be a season as well. Mm. Uh, people often talk about, I'm building my forever home. What a weird way to pigeonhole yourself, right? Yeah. I get the sentiment. And okay, this is where I feel like I want to live for the rest of my life. But what if that changes? Am I going to cling to this now? And so whatever you pick up, hold it loosely. Yeah. Amen. Got another question here from Cindy. How do we navigate expired beliefs? Whatever was true at some point, is it still true now? Well, there are two types of truth that we're talking about here. There are universal truths that remain true regardless, right? Mm -hmm. Then there are situational truths, right? And so if it was raining yesterday, that was the truth, but it's raining is not the truth, right? Right. Mm -hmm. and, and so it really depends, to get to Cindy's, the heart of Cindy's question here, you're talking about beliefs. I was having this great question or this great Q&A sort of with Beulah, who was doing these paintings, right? Mm -hmm. And she was asking me about, about God and, and asking about um, where do you get your morality from? Mm. And I said, I don't. Mm. And she's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, I, I, what do you mean? Where do I get it from? Mm. Like, um, she's like, well, you know, if someone attacked you right now, it'd be immoral. I'm like, yeah, I would see it that way. For sure, I'd have a belief around that. But mm. like, if a lion busted the door and started maiming Ryan, I would be like, how, why is he behaving immorally? Yeah. What does the Bible say about this? <laughs> right. Um, and ultimately, I, where I go is, for me, all beliefs are expired beliefs. And that doesn't mean I don't have beliefs. I pick up beliefs every day of my life. Good luck not having beliefs. I'm not saying beliefs are bad. I'm not saying don't have beliefs. I'm saying anytime I pick up a belief, it often clouds the truth. The thing I was talking to Beulah about was, okay, there are people who believe the earth is flat. Mm -hmm. That's a belief, Yeah. right? Yeah. Okay, we can now. It's easy for us to sort of point and sneer. Oh, look at you know, the bigger problem to me is the people who believe the earth is round mm. because it doesn't matter that you believe the earth is round, it is either round or it is not, regardless of what your beliefs are, regardless of what my beliefs are. And if my beliefs around that change, the truth, the universal truth around that does not change. It is, it will remain round or flat. Who knows? <laughs> Actually, I don't actually know, but mm. I, I suspect <laughs> that it is round. Um, I think all data sort of points that way, sure. right? Yeah. I don't really have a way to confirm it. But it, here's another thing. Does it really matter that much to me? Mm. And the answer to that is no. It hasn't mattered for most of human history. And our beliefs around it might help us form a picture of the world. But here's the problem with beliefs. Whenever we hold on to them too tightly... 
no, 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 the earth is flat. I saw this video on YouTube and we hold on. Now that belief turns into what? It turns into an ideology. And we hold on to that ideology tightly, it turns into a dogma. Now, no matter what, I have to fight for this thing. I'll fight for it irrationally. I'll continue to believe in, in it, even though someone has presented evidence to the contrary. I'm clinging. It prevents me from actually seeing. Yeah, it makes me makes me think about... Um you know, being raised as uh, one of Jehovah's Witnesses and how those beliefs are no longer true, in my opinion. So, do I... It's funny because as a Jehovah's Witness, I was knocking on doors trying to convince people, here's the truth, here's what you should believe. Um, Now that I'm no longer a Jehovah's Witness, I don't go around knocking on doors and be like, here's what you shouldn't believe. (laughs) So... It's it's like yeah. Once those beliefs, once you can let those go, let them go. It's fine. Like, but you don't have to get a megaphone and shout it from the mountaintop about, hey, here's what here's here's what I used to believe, and I and now I don't believe it anymore. And here's why you shouldn't believe it either. I mean, these beliefs that we have, I mean, they help us. Um, they do help us navigate certain situations. Maybe it's morality, um, whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, it's it's yeah, it's okay to let that stuff go. Yeah, there's, there's no re- yeah, there's no reason to cling to beliefs like you were saying, Josh. I, I feel like I have a a particular morality. I don't know that I get it from somewhere, and that yeah. that, that was the question that that really threw me off because it's like, you know, let's say that I think the morality comes from that outlet over there, right? Mm-hmm. But then I learned that like, oh, that outlet actually doesn't work, mm. or that outlet isn't real. It's a faux outlet, right? Right. Well, now, now what? I just want to kill everyone and like hurt <laughs> children. No, like there's an in, just an intrinsic desire to approach the world in a way that decreases suffering. That's really what we're talking about when we talk about morality. Yeah. We're talking about, yeah, so what's the most immoral situation? Maximum suffering for everyone. Man, if, you, if, if there is someone who is only a good good person if you're just listening he's doing air quotes yes if you're a good person just because of the religion that you're part of otherwise you'd be a bad person you're still a bad person (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think that's the i've been i'm still reading this man ryan the uh, crossroads novel by jonathan franz and his new new book Hmm. it is put a link to that in the show notes sean if you don't mind the it might be my new favorite novel. It is so good because here's what I, I've been reading some like some people who are criticizing it. They're like, mm-hmm. oh, there's five main characters in the book and they're like, this book's about five people who are just unlikable. I can't identify with any of them. Mm-hmm. But with me, I'm like, this book's about five unlikable people. I identify with all of them mm-hmm. because there is a part of me that I don't like. Mm-hmm. And we call that sin, or we call it indiscretion, or we we call it, um, you know, there are a bunch of monikers that we can give it, but ultimately we're saying we often do things that don't align with our values. And you can call that immorality if you want, Mm -hmm. but it's just like, when I do something that doesn't align with the person I want to be, then... That's unlikable to me. I dislike it. I actively dislike that, right? Yeah. But we're all that way. We all have times where we act on an impulse that does not serve our greater good or the the greater good at large. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, let's tune into the uh, the stream, the live stream. We have some folks from Patreon here who have some questions, some comments, some concerns. Malabama, what do you got for us? We have a question from M Dollar. One of the reasons I began minimalizing my life slash home was to ease the access to and increase the time for kayaking. I'm starting to question if I need all eight kayaks. Most, but not all, have a specific function and water type. Is there a need to minimize the activity that gives one the greatest joy? Hmm. Wow. You know, here's the thing, M Dollar. If if these kayaks are causing stress, if they're causing some discontent, then yeah, it's a symptom that maybe you want to look at those. If you're... If the only reason you're asking is because you're like, oh, I don't know if Josh and Ryan would approve of all these kayaks. Um, If they're adding value to your life, I approve them. Josh approves them. But if they're causing you discontent, then uh, yes, I'm giving you permission to look a little bit closer. Do you need a kayaks? Probably not. I mean, I'd really like to snowboard. Um, Every time I walk past a Burton shop or whatever, like I always want to get a new snowboard. And there are different types of boards for different terrains. Um, the truth is I'm not that good of a snowboarder to care about if I have a, 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 a carving board or a freestyle board, I just get a board that's, I feel comfortable on. Um, is the board actually going to help me be a better snowboarder? Not at the level I'm at. Are you a kayaker though? And like the actual kayak is going to make you a better kayaker then sure. Like go ahead and have different, different kayaks or different terrains and different, different types of water. But you're asking the question, which means that there is a symptom here that you probably should look at. Here's the problem. We look at the instruments and mistake it for the activity. Mm. Buying Jimi Hendrix's guitar is not going to make you play guitar like Jimi Hendrix. Mm. And the same can be said for kayaks. You can buy the kayak that the experts use. It's not going to make you the same kayak. In fact, I could even give you the 12 steps on how to kayak better. Mm. It's not going to make you the world-class elite kayaker. What it's going to do, it might help you mechanically, and a slightly better kayak might help you perform better. But if you think you must have a certain thing in order to do the task, you're probably clinging. If it has become a must for you, and so here's the experiment to run temporarily deprive yourself of seven of the kayaks <laughs> and figure out are you actually depriving yourself or maybe you start enjoying kayaking even more maybe you free yourself Oof. Mm. all right who else we got we have a question from irene again do you ever have days when you're not feeling it and still have to record how do you get yourself to the proper space? <laughs> that was last re- week. I just rely on Josh to carry it when I don't feel like recording. And vice versa. <laughs> I think that works well. Um, yeah. and, and there are times where Ryan will really carry a live event or he'll, he'll carry a podcast. And, and the, that's a nice dynamic here. But mm-hmm. the truth is sometimes, yeah, we record a podcast and it's like, oh, we weren't feeling it. Yeah. And We're so we're going to re-record it. Yeah. We'll come yeah. in next Tuesday and re-record the podcast, right? Yeah. And occasionally we'll record an episode or two in advance. So it, there is a buffer there. We're not like a lot of podcasts who will record in the release same day. There are some advantages to that as well, but we like to be a bit more methodical and we have a regular release schedule. But there are some days where, oh, I didn't sleep well. Mm. And 
I'm just not feeling it. I feel tired. I'll tell you the other time that really gets to me is when I, this happened last week with, with the Luxury Items podcast. Mm. I think we had to stop like halfway through the podcast and restart the whole thing. Yeah. And anyway, I overprepared. Mm. And anytime I, and I've learned this, anytime I overprepare, it sets me up. It doesn't always hurt me, but mm. it sets me up to fail. Why? Because it gives, now that sounds like I'm, I'm, ragging on preparation yeah no. that's not the case Mm-mm. in fact if i had the choice between over preparing and under preparing i'm going to over prepare every single time mm-hmm. but what i'll tell you is that if i do over prepare quite often it gives me these expectations like oh i read these three sources and I, I i did these seven activities i feel like i have to cover each one of them and so if those three sources and the seven activities if i don't talk about all 10 i've only talked about eight oh you failed. I failed twice. Right, yeah. No, I talked about eight of the things, and maybe it just didn't flow right to include all ten. Yeah. And so being able to walk away, I've learned this with the live events that we do as well. Uh, we were in Nashville recently. That, mm-hmm. that uh, for the patrons, for the true fans and the VIPs, that'll be out, I believe, in March. We did a – so it'll be a little while. You'll get the uh, both events we did with TK Coleman, and who knows? He may be at four other events. <laughs> who knows? Um, but um, – we, we did the Nashville event, and it was going so well. What happens? Oh, let's just keep going. Mm. And that doesn't leave people wanting more. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a balance as well. I rem- remember one of my favorite events. It was going so well. It was uh, Sydney, Australia back in 2018. Mm. And we ended it like an hour and 10 minutes in, and people mm. felt like, oh, we were deprived of, of whatever the minimum was like mm-hmm. they had an expectation this was going to be at least 90 minutes and it was only 79 minutes or whatever mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. and so we we didn't meet their expectation mm. now what are those expectations are some of them self-imposed expectations like over preparing and now i feel like i have to cram everything into a podcast yeah and and so um if i show up and I'm just not there mentally all the way. Yeah, sometimes it's never going to be the perfect game every time for NBA, for even LeBron James, right? Mm-hmm. He's not going to have the perfect game. The same is true when we show up for a podcast. Mm. But ultimately, we can walk away from here and not feel it. And then Sean will send me the files and I'll have to listen to it and be like, okay, do we re-record this? Yeah. Now, here's, here's the... Uh, the dirty little secret. Sometimes I'll listen back and be like, oh, wow, that was really good. Yeah. yeah. And I just didn't feel it in the moment, but I needed to go, I needed to distance myself. And that distance allowed me to let go of whatever anxiety I had mm. so that I could look at it more objectively. Yeah. What I hear you saying is, is we don't cling to every single podcast. We hold on to it very gently. Yeah. And uh, if it's publishable, great. If not, great. It's okay. Yes. Who else we got in Alabama? Nicole was wondering if you like to discuss differently when you two are alone, or does it not matter to know that people are listening to you? Um... I... I personally... Like, so far, I haven't really noticed anything. I haven't held back on anything. I think we're raunchier off off air. Yeah, I think our yeah our jokes are probably a little bit more inappropriate. Yeah, yeah. like way more inappropriate. Yeah. 
but that doesn't like really serve the greater good. And, and people can take little snippets and they can, oh, see what they said about this or whatever. Right. And we're not stand-up comedians, so quite often our jokes are just awful and they fail 80% <laughs> right. of the time. It's just inappropriate and not funny at all. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's funny to us, but we know it wouldn't be funny right. to anyone else. Exactly, yeah. And so I'll tell you, Ryan makes me laugh harder than anyone else I know. <laughs> and it's we have these conversations sometimes where it's just like, it hits and and, mm. and and you I get into like a laughing spiral where I can't mm. stop laughing mm. um, and it's usually because of the absurdity of something right yeah. we'll take something so far that it's an inside joke that only the two of us would understand because it's seven layers deep mm-hmm. but other than that no I mean we I'll tell you I think on the podcast what I try to do is yes and, but I'm not a great yes and-er. Um, it's like sort of the improv rule of, of like, even if I disagree with you, try to give you a yes and. Right. And I probably do that less in person. Well, that's probably a personality flaw of mine. Yeah. Uh, because I know that it serves the podcast if I can yes and you yeah. and we can we can build a conversation. And by the way, vice versa, like it, instead of giving me a no, if you can give me a yes and it builds a better conversation for the podcast. Mm. And maybe in our personal lives, it would build a better conversation as well. Yeah, it's a good. It's actually a really good practice. The only thing I would say, like, I do feel more pressure to perform. Like, okay, everything I, have, ha, I yeah, everything I say has to be profound and it has to yeah there's no room for screwing up yeah um yeah so i I mean i will say that like the live the live stream definitely puts a little pressure on me but it's weird though because um i don't feel that way at our live events though oh at the live at the live events i'm like if anything i feel relaxed because i'm like oh there's only like you know a thousand people here rather than a million people Mm. so i can screw up in front of a thousand right right Um, yeah which is weird because in in person it's it is more overwhelming because mm-hmm. there's it's sort of walking the tightrope with no net in a way because mm-hmm. with this if you take away the live stream for a moment then we we could just dump it we, oh this didn't work we, we throw it out right right but if you're at a live event and you forget your speech which you've done yeah so yeah. have i yeah it there's nothing to do you can't hey guys uh can we start that over well, i just didn't like the way i took that line can we uh can we go we back to the, line yeah. <laughs> right yeah it, it it doesn't work and and so i think the difference between me and you there is and this has always been the biggest difference between me and you is you perform better under pressure the yeah the talk piece of it you're right like that is that's nerve-wracking doing the like the hey we've prepared you know this talk that i want to cover these points i want to um be inspiring or i want to i want to uh help people heal in a way or i want to provide some clarity on certain subjects like i mean you know there's a very um very very clear objective with the talk so that piece that's probably the most pressure i feel is with like the talk Mm -hmm. but when it comes to like the q a the live podcast Mm -hmm. that's where i feel the least pressure yeah mm. fast and be, because you're walking you're still walking on the tightrope yeah because there, you can't redo your answer really right and for me i don't know i hmm. i feel either the and this is hmm 
What's the best way to talk about this? So I'm thinking about, so we had did two events last month, back to back. We did Orlando and then we did Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And Atlanta, or Atlanta might be my favorite tour stop we've ever done. It's up there, right? Mm-hmm. It's just everything was going, firing on all cylinders. The, the questions were outstanding. Your talk was great. We had TK Coleman as a guest and his answers were phenomenal. Uh, everything felt on. Orlando, everything felt off. Mm. The questions were not very great. Mm. I can't control that, you know, mm. but that's, that's what we're there for. Um, our guest didn't show up <laughs> anthony o'neill uh well thankfully we saw the musical guest show up so we still had a surprise guest that night and, yeah and that was great and it, because it was a surprise guest no one knew to be like expecting anthony o'neill so right. there was no expectation for him being there right. we wanted to surprise people with him being there but i think that threw me off a little bit surprised us <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> it was the most surprised guest. Yeah. Anyway, afterward, I remember just feeling like, oh, like that wasn't what I wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, what's what's the problem there? My expectation was one thing. Yeah. And I didn't meet that expectation. Mm-hmm. And, and therefore, I didn't give myself permission to feel good about it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then Atlanta was so far beyond what the standard or the expectation were that... Yeah, of course I felt and I, I could go back and look at that and find things to pick apart about that, I'm sure, as well. Sure. You can always adjust your expectation to increase your discontent. Yeah. But it's probably not a, a good recipe to follow. Yeah. All right, Joe. What do you think? Um, I think maybe we do one more comment or question to wrap this up from, from the live stream. Okay, last question from Catherine. I stopped recording my podcast last September after two years and over a hundred episodes, and I'm looking to start a new one that's more aligned with my values. How have you managed to keep the minimalists for so long? Mm. Yeah, this is something I think about a lot, actually. So when Ryan and I, we'll go give a talk. You know, you're, you're giving this talk in 20 different cities, the Love People Use Things Tour. Mm-hmm. And we still have 11 cities left. We've already done nine. And it's functionally the same. You might make a few adjustments here and there, but it's functionally the same talk mm-hmm. 20 different times, right? In 20 different cities. Mm-hmm. And yet, it may be old to you, thankfully, because you've memorized it mm-hmm. and you've practiced it over and over and over. Mm-hmm. But you deliver it in a way that's brand new because you realize it's brand new to the people who are getting ready to... They've never heard this talk before mm. unless they attended the night before and then drove to a different city to see you. They have never heard this before. And I think the same thing is true with our podcast. There are plenty of people who show up. This is their first exposure to minimalism or simplifying or intentional living. And even though a lot of these things Ryan and I have talked about or we've refined over the years, it's new to someone else. And so I don't mind talking about something the same way I talked about it a decade ago, or even better, my answers become refined over time. I change my mind or my understanding about something changes over time. So in a way, the podcast has allowed us to change our understanding about certain things. As we grow, so does the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the one thing that stands out about the question is she's going to start a new podcast that aligns with her values. I mean, this has always aligned with our values. So it sounds like there was an expiration date on that podcast, which she was podcasting about no longer aligned with her values. Great. Congratulations on noticing that and not just feeling like you have to continue to do it because you're trying to have a popular podcast or whatever it is. 
um, it sounds like you got out for the right reasons. If I felt like this went against my values, I wouldn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and by the way, if your values change, which they often do, mm-hmm. core values don't, but you may have some surface values that change or or some structural values that change. And if this no longer serves that, then the willingness to walk away, that's why I like Catherine's question here is she walked away from the old podcast because it didn't align with her values anymore. Yeah. Great. Now you're walking towards something that does align with your values. But there may be some point in the future where you have to walk away from that as well. And I'm prepared to walk away from this podcast, from the minimalist, from whatever at any point in time, because if not, then you're just clinging. And that's one of the, the most disingenuous things you can do. You're, if you're staying out of obligation, well, then the whole thing has already expired. Yeah. Amen. I say we end this episode yeah. with a song from Radiohead. Here's uh, Follow Me Around from their new re-release album Kid Amnesia (laughs) thanks patrons love y'all
ceased to exist I have ceased to Follow me.